How many people have been here for, um, for most of the series through 2 Timothy? How many people have been here? Most of the series-ish? How many people been here for two weeks of the series? Two weeks of the series? Okay. I'm pretty sure everyone in the audience is dead tonight. Are y'all dead? Okay. Uh, pop quiz. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, we're going to recap 2 Timothy, but I, 2 Timothy chapter 1, because here's the deal tonight, people. We're finishing this. This is pretty cool. Finishing 2 Timothy chapter 1 today. We've walked through every single verse, and so I want to give you guys a little pop quiz. And so instead of having one person answer like I did last week, I'm going to have everyone answer, all right? So if you don't know it, just mumble, and nobody will know that you didn't say anything. Um, just say it loud and proud and then mumble so nobody knows you're not, you didn't pay attention. Uh, here's the deal. The book of 2 Timothy was written by, I love that. People actually, yeah, it was written, technically it was written by God. Yeah, that was good, you know. But who was the man that wrote the book of 2 Timothy? Go. Paul. Who's ever said Paul? Great job, all right. The book of 2 Timothy was written by a guy named Paul. This is kind of an easy one. Who was the book of 2 Timothy written to? You, maybe. 2 Timothy was written to a guy named Timothy. All right, come on now. Come on now. Tyler, you can't answer the next one. Uh, next question. Next question. Uh, you can flip those lights on if you would, please, Micah. Um, Next question, because uh, next question, uh, it was written, it, there was kind of a circumstance involved. Where was this book? Actually, it was a letter, right? We already learned that. It, it was, where was it written? Jail. Prison, okay? Last question, very, very, very important question, and it really gives a lot of, uh, a lot of info to the book that we've been studying for the last several weeks. Why was it significant for Paul? It was his last letter. All right, if you didn't catch all that, here's what you can do. You can go online on iTunes and listen to all the podcasts. But here's basically what you need to know. We are studying the first chapter of a letter written by a guy named Paul, very famous guy in the New Testament, very famous guy, wrote half the New Testament, has a crazy cool radical story of how he became a Christian. He wrote the book. He wrote the letter to a guy named Timothy. Timothy is a pastor in what city? Does anyone remember what city Timothy is a pastor in? Silence over the room. Ephesus. I think somebody said it, all right? He is a pastor in a town called Ephesus, and Paul is writing this letter in prison. He's writing this letter in jail, and he is, uh, he's, he's dying. I mean, people, the historians, people who study the Bible back in the day and say, hey, here's the deal. From all we can tell, this is the last letter that Paul wrote ever. This is it. Second Timothy, after he penned these words, we don't know if it was a year or if it was a month or if it was a week, but after he finished chapter four of Second Timothy, he passed away. Paul the Apostle died. And so this is really significant for us because now we are reading a book that was his last words. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, go listen to the podcast because everything we're going to talk about tonight as we finish up this chapter relates to what we talked about last week. And here's the, the one sentence uh, a recap of last week. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse uh, 12 and 14. Here's Paul talking to Timothy. Here's basically what he says. He said, no matter what the circumstance is, I am not ashamed. I know it looks crazy, Timothy. I'm chained up. I don't eat a lot. I get beat probably every day in this prison for being a Christian. I used to have a lot of reputation. Everyone looked at me. When I walked in the room, everyone knew who I was. But I want you to know something. For the sake of Jesus, I am not ashamed. Here's what we said is the reason he wasn't ashamed is because he said, I'm convinced that what I put my life towards, I'm convinced that what I'm talking about, what I'm writing to you about today, I'm convinced that it's true. 
And we, we put a statement I'm going to put on the screen because I really believe it will kind of shape what we're going to talk about tonight for a few minutes. Here is what we said last week out of this text, uh, the chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Here's what we said. When you are convinced, go ahead and throw that on the screen for me. When you are convinced, there it is, you are not ashamed. This is you. This isn't Timothy. Yes, this is true for him too, but this is how we applied it to our lives. Is When you and I are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, like Paul, when he says, I'm convinced that I know who I know. I'm convinced that the person I've entrusted my life to, Jesus, he's the real deal. I'm convinced of it. We believe that when you are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, you will be not ashamed. How we said it last week is when those conversations at lunch get brought up, when somebody talks about church or religion, instead of getting all sweaty and going, oh my gosh, how am I going to respond? I don't want to be in this conversation. How do I act towards these people that are talking about Jesus? If you are convinced that he is who he says he is, you've seen him work in your life. You will be not ashamed in that moment. You're not going to stand on the table and start yelling Jesus, but you're going you're to step into that conversation confidently, and you're going to say, hey, I base my life off that. Let me share with you that, that I'm not ashamed of my belief in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of my relationship with God. But here's the deal. If you are not convinced, if you, you haven't bought into this whole thing, maybe refuge is your Sunday thing, and maybe you, you like the, the atmosphere here, or you like our music, or whatever it might be, and we're going to talk about that more tonight, but if you're not convinced, and you're cautious. When those conversations on your team, when people start talking about church and how their parents drag them to church, and, and what about you? You go to church, you start getting all like, oh man, how, how do I respond? How, how, do I, how do I have this conversation? Because nobody even knows I'm a Christian. Nobody even knows I go to church. And when you're not convinced that Jesus is the real deal, you are going to be cautious. And that's where we left off last week. And that's good for us to remember is because right now we're going we're gonna to transition into the last few chapters, the verses of the chapter. And I don't know if you've read ahead and maybe that first couple of weeks and we told you to be reading First Timothy chapter 1. Maybe you saw the last verses and you're like, what does that have to do with my life? So I'm going to read them and then we're going to talk about, I think, God might have something to say even in a kind of obscure set of verses. So it's going to be on the screen. Here's a first, Second Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 through 18. Here's what it says. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turn away from me, among whom, and I'm going to butcher these, okay, I'm bad at these names, okay, uh, Phagellus, that's what we're going to call that guy, among who are Phagellus and Hermogenes, can you just real quick, just like, shame on those people's moms, okay, that's messed up, can you imagine that kid in kindergarten, what's your name, I don't even know, I can't even pronounce it, Phagellus and Hermogenes, okay, if you know how to say it better, tell me later, But among the people that deserted me, okay, I want you to try to track with what he's saying, are these guys, Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of, here's another crazy name, Onisiphorus. Okay, there's a mouthful right there. That's a guy's name. Shame on his mom. Onisiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. Next slide. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. And found me. May the Lord grant to him, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered to Ephesus. Here's the first thing I want to say tonight, and we're going to break that down. Never, ever, 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 when you see a lot of crazy names, because there's a lot in the Bible. If you start reading the Bible, you're going to see a lot of crazy names. You're going to see some things. You're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and skip that. All the good part of the chapter is done. So I'm going to kind of skip this next part where it talks about these guys. I can't understand their names. Never do that. Because we're going to see tonight, this is a big deal. 
especially out of what we talked about last week, God inspired Paul in that jail cell to write about these guys. What is it? Philegius, whatever his name is, and, and, and Hermogenes, and this guy Onesiphorus. Who are these guys, and why on earth are their names so hard to pronounce, and what do they have to do with your life as a teenager? Well, here's what I believe. As we look at this, we see this is in direct correspondence to what we talked about last week. Because here's what Paul basically does. He says, hey, speaking of not being ashamed, speaking of being convinced and not convinced, speaking of all that, I want to end this chapter, Timothy. Here's what I want you to know. Everybody bailed on me. That's what it says in the first part. Go to that first slot again with the, uh, with the first part of the, the verse. You are aware, Timothy, you know this, that everybody bailed on me. When it got crazy hard, everybody in Asia, they bailed on me. The mission was aborted, and all the people that were on our side, all the people that were on our team, they bailed. And among them are Phagellus and Hermogenes. So he just calls these dudes out. Forever and all of eternity, we know Phagellus and Hermogenes as the dudes who bailed. We don't know anything about them. We just know Paul calls him out and says, these guys bailed on me. But he calls another guy. He says, but you remember Onesiphorus. You remember him, Timothy? You remember that guy that, that searched for me in Rome? I mean, he went to the city of Rome, and it's a huge, it's the capital of the world at that time, and he's asking everybody, where's Paul? Where's Paul? Hey, do you know where Paul is? Earnestly seeking after Paul. He says, hey, Timothy, remember, remember when that Onesiphorus guy, remember when he served us at Ephesus, where, Paul, where Timothy is reading this letter? Remember when he was in your city and he served you? And life is hard for Paul. You got to remember, this guy, and always, 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 I hope you, it's burning your brain. We said it a ton. Whenever you're reading the book of 2 Timothy, always remember, it was written in a jail cell. So life is hard. I mean, Timothy, Paul here is like recanting his, recounting his life and thinking, this is it. These are my last words. I'm thinking about my life. I'm thinking about the people in my life. And, and Timothy, as I end this first chapter, here's what you need to know. Everyone bailed on me. And so Paul, he kind of paints a picture here. We're going to talk about just for a few minutes about people. I believe he paints a picture about some people that aren't very passionate about Jesus, that aren't very passionate about the kingdom of God. Those are the guys that that deserted him in Asia. And then he he paints this one guy that we don't know a lot about, this picture that says, remember him? He was the real deal. He was all in. And so tonight, I want to kind of break this down for us, because here's what I believe. I know anytime you have a church service, that there are some phagelluses and, and some homogenous people in this room. Here's what I mean by that. There's people that, that you're kind of on board for a minute, and maybe right now you're in it. You come to Refuge, you like the music, or maybe, you're, maybe you come because you're like that cute girl, that cute guy. I don't know why you come to Refuge or why you might go to our main services, but there are people every week in church that... They come because it's kind of the cool thing. They're in it because they like an aspect of it. I believe that was this guy, we'll call him P and H, because I'm tired of butchering their names. P and H, Vigelis and Hermonis, that's what that means from here on out. They were in it for a season, and, it, and then the heat got turned on. Christians started getting thrown in jail. And Paul starts getting beaten and arrested. And maybe the guys that they were following started getting made fun of a lot. And all of a sudden, these people are in this, and here's why I believe they weren't very convinced that it was really true. They weren't, they weren't so convinced that they were in it no matter what happened. And so they go, 
I'm gonna um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go this way, and I'm gonna let you guys do your Christian thing over here, and we're gonna leave. And for all eternity, we know this guy P and this guy H as the dudes who bailed on the kingdom of God and the mission that Paul had invited them into. Here's the deal tonight: is there's some of you in the room that's you. And that's cool because here's my story, and you've heard this a million times, but that was me. For the first six months of my life in church, I was a P and I was an H, and I was sitting there, and I wasn't really sure why I was there. I really liked the music, and, and maybe there was some cute girls there, and I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to kind of be a part of church because uh, it's kind of a cool thing. But here's the deal. If, if somebody would have brought it up at my lunch table in those first six, seven, eight months and said, hey, Scott, what do you think about Jesus? And when the heat got turned on, like these guys, I would have bailed. Man, I wasn't all in. <laughs> Eventually, again, I've shared before, at a summer camp in the summer of 2003, God got a hold of me, and I was all in. At that moment, I said, Jesus, my friends are going to make fun of me. I'm going to be like the laughing stock on the team, but I'm in this because I believe you're the real deal. But these guys, and maybe some of you tonight, that's not you. So I don't want you to ever rush past these big name, weird endings to chapters as if it doesn't apply to your life. Here's the deal tonight is you might be a, 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 a P and an H. You might be a, a Philagius and, and a Hermogenes. You might be that guy that you're kind of in it while it's cool. You might be in it for the camps and the exposures and the all-nighters, but Paul was saying, man, when the heat got turned up, these guys and everybody else that you know, Timothy, they bailed on me. The reason I talk about that tonight is because that's not God's will for you. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad everyone's here tonight. I'm a, man, this morning that whole building was packed out full of people. And there was some P's and some H's in that room. And we're stoked that they're here every single week. But we want to move people from just checking out a cool scene and checking out a cool service and cool music to know you're in this. When the heat gets turned up at your office, when the heat gets turned up at your team, when the heat gets turned up at your, in your family, Maybe like me, your family's going to look at you when you start talking about Jesus and they're going to be like, are you serious? You really believe the Bible is God's word. My parents looked at me and, and I love them now, man. They're, they're Christians. They love Jesus and they still struggle in certain ways. But when I first started going to church, they looked at me and said, you really believe the Bible is as relevant today as it was when it was written? And I'm like, oh man, that's my parents Talk about some heat being turned on when your parents look at you and think you're crazy for what you believe. Some of you are there right now. And maybe some of you are in the place where you say, I'm about to bail on this whole thing. It's way easier to run the route of everybody else than to stand firm in what I believe and say, yeah, I believe this. Even when the heat's on, even when it's good and even when it's bad, I'm in. I believe that's why Paul talks about it. That's why Paul messed, it's kind of messed up. If you think about it, he straight calls some dudes out for all eternity. There's these two guys that for all eternity, and we don't know who their family is, but maybe some of you are related to these guys. And oh my gosh, your ancestor is called out in scripture as the dude who bailed. That's not God's will for you. Maybe some of you right now are on that fence. You're on that line. Well, man, you got one foot in the world and one foot in this Jesus boat, this, this kingdom of God, this stuff that we talk about at Refuge all the time. And in small group, you're in. You talk about it, you know all the answers. But at the lunch table, on your team, in your family, you would never know you have anything to do with Jesus. But I think that was P and H. On the outside, they looked like Christians. They were, they were in the crowd. They were following everybody. They were in with Paul. And the heat got turned on, and they said, we're out. We, we can't do this anymore. When the heat gets turned up, 
God's will for you is that you would you'd be all in. Why? Because you're convinced. Again, if you missed last week, you've got to go back to the podcast because it's a big deal. Every morning you sit down and you say, God, convince me that you are who you say you are. Convince me. And when you're convinced, you're going to stand in the face of heat, in the face of whoever's talking to you and thinking you're crazy for what you believe. You're going to say, hey, I'm not ashamed. Like Paul in a jail cell, I'm not ashamed. No matter my reputation, no matter what you might think about me because I I claim Jesus and I, I believe he's changed my life, I'm not ashamed. Enter this Onesiphorus guy. We don't know anything about this guy. I mean, this is one of the coolest stories in the Bible. Again, if you just read past it and thought, it's kind of one of those weird end of chapter, don't care about those big names. No, this guy is called out by Paul as, hey, remember this one guy. This one guy. Timothy, remember him? And he kind of paints this picture of a guy that probably was very convinced because imagine walking in New York City and tracking down one person. I mean, that's, that's Rome at the time. Rome is like the capital of the world. And this Onesiphorus guy says, hey, he's looking around. Where's Paul? And people are like, you talking about that, that guy who was somebody and now he's nobody? Why are you looking for him? And he goes, I need to find him. I'm on his side. I'm on his team. You remember him? You, you know Paul? You know Paul? Can you help me find him? And he says, remember how he earnestly sought me and he found me? I mean, this guy's so convinced. He's looking everywhere in the biggest city in the world for one guy so we can spend time with him so we can get to know Jesus more. He goes on to say, Timothy, remember how he served us? So I want to look just, hopefully it's going to be shorter tonight. I want to look at two things real quick that I believe we can take out of this guy Onesiphorus' life. Real quick, out of these few verses, we know just a couple things about him. And I think we can see how this last few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1, how they can plug into your life today, tomorrow. And so if you take notes, I hope you do. I hope you're taking notes on this series because the stuff we've been laying out for you could really be life-shaping as you walk through college and into high school. Some of you guys are getting ready to go to high school next year. Here's a couple of things out of this guy on Nisiphorus' life. Here's the first one. Never underestimate how God uses people in your life. That's a slide. Go ahead and hit that slide for me. Never underestimate how God uses people in your life. Again, look at Paul. He's saying in his dying days, he's sitting there recollecting his life. He's thinking about the people in his life. And this one guy comes to mind. Here's what I know. Just out of this few verses, you could tell this guy meant a whole lot to Paul. I mean, he's calling him out. If everybody Paul knew, you got to imagine Paul, if he had an iPhone, his address, his address book would be so full of people. Both the religious people from his cool days as a, as a religious, you know, Pharisee. And also as, I mean, he traveled the world telling people about Jesus. You better believe if he had an iPhone, he'd say, hey, what's your contact info? This guy had all sorts of people in his contact info, in his contact list. And he goes, hey, there's this one guy I want to tell you about. At Hope here, we say it's all about relationships. If you haven't heard that, I'm sure you will if you go here any length of time. It's all about relationships. Here's what we believe, is I truly believe every week at Refuge, this right here, what's happening, this sermon thing, is not the most important thing about Refuge. The worship, as good as it was, as awesome as it is to dim the lights and get in your own little world with Jesus, that's not the most important thing about Refuge. Here's what I believe, and every leader in the room believes is the most important thing about Refuge, is what we're about to do after this. 
when we get into small groups and we start talking about our lives, we start kind of opening up about what God's doing in our lives and we start saying, okay, let's talk about the message, not from Scott talking to you, but you talking to us, share with what God said to you tonight. And here's what we know is you'll never, ever understand fully, I don't think, how God uses that in your life. The goal of sermons at Refuge and Hope is to, yes, inspire you. Maybe put something in your brain that you're going to say, I really like that. I'm going to take that into my small group and we're going to explode it and we're going to talk about it and I'm going to plug it into my life. So Paul here is talking about this guy Onesiphorus and he meant a great, great deal to Paul. Never, ever underestimate how God uses people in your life. Maybe for you, Onesiphorus is your small group leader. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. But it's that person where you think, man, they have done so much in my life. If you don't have that person, hey, here's what I would, here would, here's what I would try to convince you of is maybe you're not super plugged into authentic community at, at, a, at a service like this. Or, or maybe you got it in the main service. That's cool. Here's what we're asking of every Christian because it's what the Bible asks is, who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? Who is your Onesiphorus? Who are the people in your life that as you think about your relationship with God, they spur you on? This is me included. If I don't have anybody in my life that does that, I'm missing out on God's best for me. Don't think because I'm the the pastor up here that I must have Christianity figured out. No, every week or every other week, my wife and I are in a small group. And every few weeks, I meet with Eric Honeyman right back there. And we go to coffee. And he says, hey, what's going on in your life? And I tell him, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's how you can pray for me and my wife. Here's how you can know me, Eric. And I can take the pastor mask off. And we can talk about real life. If you don't have anybody in your life like that, man, you're missing out. Never underestimate how God uses people in your life. Some of you guys are seniors. I've seen you guys as I've been around Refuge when I started as a small group leader like five years ago. I've seen you guys, and now you're getting ready to graduate high school, and you've walked with people. There's been some people in your life consistently that have poured into you and discipled you. And if you were in a jail cell in your dying days, you would say, hey, remember my small group leader at Refuge? Remember that conversation or that mission trip or that time that I really got close to that one person in my small group and we started really doing life together. We started spending time together in the word of God. And your story would be a story of somebody, a relationship. You're never gonna say, hey, remember that one sermon Scott preached? Man, it was awesome. Remember that one sermon Pastor Vance preached and it just blew my mind and I never forgot it? No. We know that's not true. You might remember a story, you might remember a thought, but the life-changing stuff is what happens in your small group, what happens in a circle of friends, what happens when your leader looks at you across from Starbucks and says, what's going on in your life? If you don't have that, you are missing out. Never underestimate how God uses people in your life. And here's the last one. Never underestimate how God uses you when you're serving. I don't know what Onesiphorus did for Timothy and Paul in Ephesus. But it was significant. He probably didn't think it was. I don't know. It says he refreshed us. Remember how he refreshed us in Ephesus. I don't know if he said, hey, I'm going to give you my house for the night. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook you guys dinner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash your feet. I don't know what he did. It doesn't tell us. But it was a big deal to Paul. It was a big deal to Timothy. Because if he's sharing with Timothy, hey, remember this? Remember how much that meant to me? Here's what I can promise you. 
no matter how old you are. Some are seventh grade in here. Some of you are twelfth grade in here, getting ready to go to college. Some of you are just like trying to get your head around junior high still in seventh grade. Here's what I, here's what I can promise you. No matter what age you are, whether you're nine or ninety, if you are a servant and you are humble, God will use you. And you might not even know the extent of him using you. If you grow in, you know, some of you guys are going to grow up, and I just know. We've got an awesome group of students here at Refuge, okay? Some of you guys are going to grow up, and, like, I'm going to know your name. Your name's going to be somewhere like, wow, I knew that person. They were in our student ministry. It's going to happen, okay? Somebody's going to, like, hit it big, okay? Some of you might not hit it big, but you're going to be in, a, in positions of power. You're going to be CEOs, and you're going to be teachers that, you know, principals that are running schools, and you're going to be in places of position. But here's the deal. No matter what kind of responsibility you have, no matter what kind of power you have, what kind of position If you ever stop losing sight of being a servant, you're missing out on God's best for you. You know, we always talk about the, like, heaven. I don't know if you ever said this. Maybe it's just me being cheesy. But, oh, man, when I get to heaven, man, I'm going to see Paul. And, of course, we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to see, you know, maybe Timothy and James and Peter and Matthew and all like, if you just flip through your Bible and see all the names, we're going to see all of them, man. They're going to be on their like little cool Bible author thrones. And we're going to like walk up and like go, oh, you're Matthew, man. I studied your book for years. That's cool. Nice to meet you. Maybe. But here's what I believe as you look at the, at, at the whole of scripture and you see these guys like Onesiphorus and it's just like random, like who is this guy? I believe some of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to go, hey, who's that guy? that all the people are hanging around. Who's that guy with like the fatty throne seat over there and just like, who is that guy? You walk in like, oh yeah, that's Onesiphorus. You're gonna be like, what? Yeah, remember 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18? The guy that nobody knew his name, but he served Timothy and Paul. He was humble, he was a servant. Nobody knew his name, but God knew. God knew what he was doing. Paul and Timothy, they'll have their spot, man. They did amazing things for the kingdom of God. But not everybody who does amazing things for the kingdom of God is well known. And that might be you. But the world tells us, don't do what you got to do to stay a servant and stay humble, man. Do what you got to do to get known. Do what you got to do to have that reputation. Do what you got to do to get to a place of position and power to where everyone looks at you like somebody. I think as we read this last few verses, Timothy and Paul say no. Remember Onesiphorus, the guy who served us faithfully, the guy who was humble, the guy that nobody in all of Christianity, except maybe you guys now, know his name, but he's a somebody in the kingdom of God. Jesus kind of laid this model out for us. Pastor Vance mentioned it this morning, but in, uh, in the Bible, here's what the Bible says. is for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, God, the God of the universe, did not come so that people would bow down to him, and, and, and he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. The, the God of the universe sat down and washed people's feet, and he... He said, hey, here's the deal. I know the world's going to tell you that the, the people who are first are going to be the first everywhere. They're going to be the, the, the top dogs. And I want to tell you, the people that are first in the kingdom of this world, they're going to be last in my kingdom. And the people that are last in this world are going to be first in my kingdom. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't seek to be somebody. Just serve. 
Serve your family. Serve your school. Serve in our church. Hey, if you, if you want to know how to serve in our church, we can go back there. We can tell you how to serve in our church. There's plenty of places you can say, hey, I don't really want to necessarily because I want to go take a nap, but I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what I feel called of God to do, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to serve the VIP area. Or I'm going to serve, and I'm going to set up chairs for refuge. Or I'm going to be an usher in the main service. Or maybe outside of the church, you're going you're gonna to serve your community by cleaning up trash in your neighborhood or, or staying after school and helping a teacher do something. Or say, why are you doing that? I just want to serve. Pastor Vance may not get on stage and be like, hey, I just want to let everyone know. I don't know if you saw the new usher over here. We're going to call them out. We're going to make them a plaque. They're serving here at church now. That's not how it works. You may be a nobody in the eyes of the world. But I believe we see here a pattern of humility and the people that are convinced and not ashamed like Onesiphorus says, hey, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to look earnestly for you because I really diligently want to seek to know this God better. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come up. I'm going to finish off tonight. And as they do, I want to, I want to kind of ask you guys a few questions. Shaw, if you go ahead and hit those lights. Or, sorry, Candace, she's currently got a sleeping baby on her. Earlier I said that there's some in the room that I really believe are probably a phagellus or a Hermogenous. Somebody who, man, you're in it right now. You're on board because things are easy right now, man. Somebody invited you to church. Somebody, somebody invited you to, to be a part of refuge. And right now you're just checking it out. That's cool. That was me. That was a lot of your leaders. That was some of you. You're just checking it out. But here's what we want to try to move you towards. We want to try to move to, you towards a place where when the heat gets turned on, and it will, We may not have persecution like they do in other parts of the world, but I promise you, there's going to be some heat in your lives when you surrender to Jesus and say, hey, I'm all in. There's going to be some heat. There always is. When the heat gets turned on, you're saying, no, I'm I'm not ashamed. I'm not bailing. I'm not leaving this thing. I'm not giving up on this relationship with Jesus. I'm in. Second question I want to ask you is, do you have people in your life? In your dying days like Paul, is there going to be people, not that you had a great time with, because if all we can do is recollect on people we had a really fun time with, but never anything that, hey, remember how much of a difference they made in my life? We might be kind of living on an island of Christianity where we think there's people around us, but nobody's really in our business to where we go, man, they did so much in my life. Everybody in the room who says they're passionate about Jesus should have somebody they could say, man, they're in my life and I'm different because of it. If that's not you, get somebody, man. We got small group leaders here that would love to be that person for you. Maybe somebody in your small group who's a little further down the road is saying, hey, that's me, I'm in. Do you serve? I'm not talking about do you serve at hope. Hey, we want every one of you to be serving in some capacity at your church. That's a biblical thing. But even more than that, are you, are you a servant at heart? If you think about your day, is it pretty much all about you? And everything's about me. I don't really ever put my rights aside and serve anybody. Everything's kind of about me. I would challenge you. That is not God's best for you. That is not God's will for you. 
The first in this kingdom will be last in his kingdom. The last in this kingdom. Maybe the ones nobody knows their name. Maybe the ones that everyone thought was weird because they served so much. Maybe the one that everyone thought was weird because they didn't talk about themselves all the time. But they, they talked about Jesus and they talked about how they're not, they're not all that. They don't have it all figured out. Maybe the person that, that is that, God says, hey, those people are the first in my kingdom. So do you serve? 